Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number two of Revelation chapter 17. And we're going to read the first five verses. And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I'll stop reading there. Now, um, as we have begun to look into chapter 17 in the book of Revelation, we've seen that God is continuing the discussion of Babylon in relationship to this world and and, uh, the final judgment upon it. And here uh, in verse 1 in our last study we saw that uh, John was shown the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. And the great whore or harlot was seen to be Babylon as verse 5 of Revelation 17 indicates upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And we discussed um, a little that Babylon is called the mother of harlots, or the great whore, the great harlot, because it pictures Satan's kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, the, the kingdom that he ruled over, uh, right from the very beginning of Adam and Eve's fall into sin. And and so Babylon uh, is the enemy kingdom of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the great whore, who is Babylon, sitteth upon many waters. And the waters were defined in verse 15 of Revelation chapter 17. Where it says, And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore sitteth, are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And that's four groups of people. Um, each one represents people, unsaved people. And they, they typify the four points of the compass, north, south, east, west, And that's where you find all the people on the earth, either in the north or the south or the east or the west. And it it is all 
the the people of the world that never became saved that are um, within or or uh, a part of the kingdom of Babylon, the kingdom of darkness of this world. And then it goes on to say in verse 2, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. That is the great whore of Babylon. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. And when we find this um, this language of the kings of the earth, or or this phrase, the kings of the earth, it is a phrase that could identify with true believers or with those that have identification with true believers, such as Jews of old or um, professed Christians. They're not true Christians. They're not true believers. But since they profess to be a true believer, and every true believer is a prophet, priest, and king spiritually, then God identifies them with this uh, identification of the kings of the earth. And, and, and yet this same sort of phrase can be used of a true believer who does become a spiritual king. For instance, in Revelation chapter 1, Revelation 1, verse 5, it says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. There it's very positive. It, it's speaking of the individual that has truly become saved, and uh, and God calls the Lord Jesus the prince of the kings of the earth, or the prince of the true believers. Also in Revelation chapter 21, it says in verse 24, And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And this is speaking of the new heaven and new earth. And and so it, it must be that the kings of the earth who bring their glory and honor into it is speaking of those uh, people that God saved. But on the other hand, also within the book of Revelation, let's look at Revelation 6 and verse 15, where it says, And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, and every free man, hid themselves in the dens, and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now since these kings of the earth, that were mentioned at the beginning of verse 15, want to be hidden from the wrath of, of the Lamb, the wrath of Christ, and the day of judgment, well, uh, obviously, they're not true believers. They they are instead they're the professed Christian. They're the ones who think that they're a child of God, and they would be amongst those that are saying, "Lord, Lord, um, did we not do many mighty things in your name?" And 
and yet uh, they are not saved, and so Christ responds, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. Also, in Revelation 19 and verse 19, it says, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against them that sat on the horse and against his army. And the, the one sitting on the horse is Christ. It, if you would read the earlier verses, he's on a white horse, and his army are the saints of God that um, that follow him, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Now, now here the the kings of the earth are aligned with the beast and and their armies, and they're gathered together to make war against Christ and the saints. And um, that means it it can only be the unsaved yet within the corporate body, within the churches and congregations of the world. So when we when we read here in Revelation seventeen, the phrase itself, the kings of the earth, doesn't help us. It could be true believers or it could be the unsaved. The context must determine which is in view. And, and, and so here it's the great whore Babylon with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. And the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. And uh, due to the context, it, it appears the kings of the earth here are the unsaved within the churches. They uh, profess Christians. They have been involved in uh, spiritual adultery, spiritual fornication with Babylon um, as they have lusted after other kinds of gospels and and gone astray from the commandments of God's word, the Bible. And uh, that, that seems to be the emphasis. And then it also speaks of the inhabitants of the earth are, that are made drunk with the wine of her fornication. And the inhabitants of the earth, I think, is looking at all of the people outside of the church. In other words, Babylon which um, especially um, uh, during the, the time of the end um, ascends to heights of great power and Satan rules over the world and over the church like never before. And we read of that uh, in Revelation 13, for instance, when the beast is coming up out of the sea. And, and so here God is looking at all the unsaved people of the world, but breaking them up into two groups. There's the kings of the earth that committed fornication with Babylon, that the people in the church, and there's the inhabitants of the earth. These are the people outside of the church that that are unsaved as well, but they don't have any relationship with God as those people within the church do. For instance, um, in Revelation 8, this this same word, inhabitants, the same Greek word, which is Strong's 2730, is found. And Revelation 8 is that chapter in which God is describing the judgment on the third part 
which points to the judgment on the corporate church as judgment began at the house of God. And after the first four trumpets sound, and, and uh, all four are, um, again, focused on the judgment on the church, then it comes time for the transition from the judgment on the church to the judgment on the world. And it says in Revelation 8, verse 13, And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, or to the inhabitants of the earth, by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. And that clues us in, or it's a clue phrase, to let us know that the the judgment is now expanding, it's widening, and it's it's going to include all of the unsaved people of the world. God, in, in we could say in one way, has been judging the kings of the earth within the churches. And now he's going to judge the inhabitants of the earth, those with outside the churches. He uses this similar language in Jeremiah chapter 25. In Jeremiah 25, God begins the judgment upon the city called by his name. We read in verse uh, 29 of Jeremiah 25, For lo, I begin to bring evil on the city, which is called by my name. And should ye be utterly unpunished, now he's speaking to the nations of the world, ye shall not be unpunished, for I will call for a sword upon all the inhabitants of the earth, saith Jehovah of hosts. Therefore prophesy thou against them all these words, and say unto them, Jehovah shall roar from on high, and utter his voice from his holy habitation. He shall mightily roar upon his habitation. He shall give a shout, as they that tread the grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. So there God twice is indicating at the time of the transition of the cup, First, to the people called by my name, Jerusalem, which typifies the church. And then God looks at the nations. Will you be unpunished? Because I've been judging the churches throughout the Great Tribulation for 23 years, and and you have not been punished during that time. It, it has been a judgment focused upon the people who call themselves Christians, throughout this entire 8400 days well you will not be unpunished I have a judgment plan for you also and it, it, May 21 2011 was the conclusion of the great tribulation and the day of transition from judging only the church to now judging all the unsaved inhabitants of the earth and and that's the focus of the final judgment. It's upon all the unsaved. No one escapes the judgment of God. They they all are the objects of his wrath. Well, and, and that's who he's talking to here, both groups in Revelation 17 2, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, speaking of Babylon, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. It 
it has seemed that way. Hasn't as God has loosed Satan, as uh, the Lord has uh, drawn back his spirit from restraining the sin within the hearts of the people of the earth, within the hearts of man, and men have gone wild, they've gone crazy, they've they've gone uh, lustily after the the fornication of Babylon, the rebellious nature of Satan and his kingdom of darkness. Mankind loves the sin, the the freedom of openly rebelling against God and going contrary to the commandments of God. They have gone full force in the direction away from God. And, and just look in the world, Sunday um, uh, Sabbath is no more. It, it would be a joke even to try and bring it up to the people of the earth. They will never go back to shutting their stores on Sunday as as um, certain nations had laws concerning that. And those laws are, are gone. They will never go back to um, the sanctity of marriage and respecting uh, the marriage relationship and, and not having divorce. Oh no, they love to have it this way. They'll never go back to protecting human life in the womb and, and protecting the newly created child that God has formed uh, in in his mother no they they want it this way they want to be able to kill at will and just you know, thing after thing they'll never go back to marriage between a man and a woman and now that gay marriage has has uh, come to fruition and and uh, all the world is crazy about it oh it's the newest thing it's the thing you must be for, or else uh, you you're you're doing something wrong. Uh, it's an evil thing to be against gay marriage. It, it's calling uh, evil good and good evil, just as the Bible said. And all these things, the world is drinking the wine of the fornication of Babylon that that brought upon Babylon's judgment and. Also, the judgment of every unsaved individual of the world. Well, that's um, what God is pointing out here. And then in verse 3, it goes on to say, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Now, this is a very interesting verse. And right away we're reminded of the woman that was taken away into the wilderness earlier in Revelation in chapter 12. And that woman had brought forth the man-child in verse 5. Uh, it says, And she brought forth the man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Now the woman is a picture of the body of believers as Christ came through Judah, it's as though he came through the line of believers and entered into the world and then was caught up. He was he was resurrected after his 40-day period of showing himself. He went back to heaven. And then it says in verse 6, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared of God that they should feed her there 
a thousand two hundred and three score days. And and uh, the woman is a picture of the people of God in the churches and congregations throughout the entire church age. And here in uh, Revelation seventeen three, he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. Now in Revelation 12, once the woman flees into the wilderness, um, we read of the dragon that is cast out of heaven and pursues the woman in the wilderness. Well, here the Apostle John is given a vision. I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Now the woman is sitting upon the scarlet-colored beast. And it's the beast that has the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Remember what we read in Revelation 13. Uh, Revelation is building upon itself, and as we continue on in the study, uh, we can go back and and be reminded of some things we learned earlier. Back in Revelation 13, in verse 1, And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the names of blasphemy. And that's very similar. Here, I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Now here the ten horns are not crowned. It doesn't tell us that. And when the horns are crowned, that in particular points to the Great Tribulation period. But here is just the the beast. The beast. And remember the woman is Babylon. The woman is Babylon. The beast is Satan. And that's what makes this so interesting and unusual. Let's read this again. I saw a woman, God is moving the Apostle John to write, sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman is sitting on the beast. Okay, well, what what's unusual about that? Of course, it, it's a very... Um, dynamic sort of image that God is giving us. But what's unusual is the beast is Satan and the woman is Babylon. But it's the woman, Babylon, sitting on the beast. And in the Bible, to sit means to rule. So if we follow that understanding, because kings sit upon their thrones and exercise their dominion, they rule. And, and, um, remember in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we find concerning the son of perdition, it says at the end of verse 3, that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple, of God showing himself that he is God. Now there the man of sin, who who is the son of perdition, who is Satan, son of the morning, as we read in Isaiah 14, there the man of sin is sitting in the temple, and that's what we would expect. 
because the temple represents the corporate church. God has loosed Satan. Satan has entered in. He takes his seat as the man of sin. He rules. He rules over the churches. He is seated. And yet, um, that's not the picture we have in Revelation 17. In Revelation 17, it's the woman, Babylon, that is seated upon the beast. And we could say in 2 Thessalonians 2, it's the beast seated over the church. But here in Revelation 17, verse 3, it is Babylon seated upon the beast, who is Satan. And it's, it's not just there. Go down to verse 9 of, well, verses 8 and 9 of Revelation 17. The beast that thou sawest was and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition. And they that dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they behold the beast that was and is not, and yet is. And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings, five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. Now, we've discussed this before. Mountains in the Bible represent kingdoms. And and then we're not surprised in verse 10 that God speaks of seven kings. First, seven heads are seven mountains and seven kings, because they represent seven kingdoms. And they represent the seven kingdoms, or kings, the period of kingship of Satan throughout the course of this world. And five were fallen in the Old Testament. One is, which would be for the New Testament church age. One was yet to come. That would be for the little season of the Great Tribulation. But notice again, verse 9, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. The woman, Babylon, sits on the mountains, or the kingdoms of Satan, on the kings. And Satan is the king of Babylon. He's typified as the king of Babylon. What could God have in view? Why is the woman the one seated? and not the beast. Why isn't Satan the one that is uh, seated upon the, the great harlot? Why is it the other way around? Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.